All right, if you would, let's open up our Bibles again to the book of Exodus and chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, I encourage you to uh, use one of those provided for you. And uh, you'll find our passage this morning in one of those Bibles on page 61. Uh, I do want to say a special word of welcome to our guests that are with us this morning. And we certainly pray that your time with us will be a blessing. And we're thankful that you're here. You're always, always welcome. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in truth and unite my heart to fear your name. This morning we come to the third commandment. It's contained in only one verse. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 7. Here's what we read. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In the first commandment, God set apart himself for honor. We are to worship God alone. We are to have no other gods before Him. In the second commandment, God set apart His worship for special honor. Worship is the highest activity of man. Ultimately, how we worship will shape our perception of God and how we think of God We're not to treat God as a mere creature using images or idols, but we are to to worship God through the words that He has given us to teach us about Himself. So what is God setting apart for honor in this third commandment? He's setting apart His name, His reputation, His honor and His esteem in the eyes of men. One of our goals in this series of sermons on the Ten Commandments is for us to learn from God what is most important. What does God value? What does God tell us is of greatest worth in this world? And certainly in this commandment and throughout the pages of the Bible, we find that God loves His name. God values His name. God defends His name. In Psalm 91, God says of a godly man, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. God will protect the one who trusts in him. Because he will not allow his name to be proven untrustworthy. Isaiah 48, 11, For my own sake, for my own sake I do it. How should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. 
God is speaking there about the salvation of his people. And he says, here is the great reason why I save people, to show the supreme worth and the value of my name. If they dare trust my name, if they dare call upon my name, I will show that my name is worthy of their trust, worthy of their love, worthy of their worship. God values his name so much that the psalmist often appeals to God's name when praying. So for example, in Psalm 79, 9, Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of your name. Deliver us and atone for our sins for your name's sake. Ultimately, everything that God does is for the glory of his name. It's the motivation beneath every act of God. In Ezekiel 20, we have this consistent refrain, but I acted for the sake of my name. God blesses the righteous for the sake of his name. God judges sin for the sake of his name. He shows mercy on those who trust him for the sake of his name. When the disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, tell us how to pray, Jesus said, this should be your first request. This should be your highest request. This should be the supreme desire of your heart when you pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Exalted be your name. God's name stands for God himself. It represents who God is. God's name is his revelation of him to us. It's how we know him. Uh, Just as our understanding of God is connected to and shaped by how we worship him, second commandment, our understanding of God is also connected to and shaped by the words we use to talk about him. The third commandment. In the second commandment, we learned that God's people are to be a people of words, not images. Christianity is a word religion, not a visual religion. So the third commandment naturally follows. Make sure that the words you use about God are words that honor Him. And that you speak those words in an honorable way. What we say when we talk about God... How we say what we say when we talk about God will either shape our faith in a way that sets us on a course for loving God, reverencing God, valuing God, or it will set us on a course of neglecting God and disregarding God. Words matter. How we use words shapes our worldview and shapes our relationship with God. Now, when we think about the third commandment, we need to recognize that God's name is anything by which God has made himself known to us. So let me mention a few things that's included in this idea of God's name. It certainly includes God's self-given names. Remember, nobody else names God. He names God. God is who he is. He reveals self-chosen names to us to help us better know him and understand him. Honoring God's name means honoring these self-given names. 
What are they? Yahweh, Jehovah, I am who I am, Elohim, the Almighty One, El Shaddai, the Sovereign King, Yahweh Yaira, the Lord will provide. Yahweh Rophe, the Lord who heals. Yahweh Nissi, the Lord is my banner. These are some of the names that God has revealed to us for himself in Scripture. In English, we tend to bring all these names together under two key names. God and Lord. We call God God. We call God the Lord. And then there is that name by which we specifically know the Son of God, Jesus. The name above all other names. And there is the name by which we know that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. We are not to speak these names in vain. We are to speak them with honor. But honoring God's name also means honoring the titles by which God is known. Uh, we know God through His self-given names, but we also know Him through His titles. And the Bible is full of titles for God that teach us who He is. What's your favorite? Can you think of some? Uh, the Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Creator, Sustainer, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, King of Nations, Shepherd, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, when you think of the Son of God, we think of those titles in the Gospel of John, right? He is the door, the light of the world, the way, the truth, the life, the vine, the Lamb of God, the Alpha and the Omega. These titles ought to be precious to our souls. These titles ought to be meaningful to us. Honoring God's name goes further than this. It includes honoring those attributes by which God is known. Those attributes by which God is known. So, for example, if I make fun of my wise friend who is sober-minded and instead acts like having thoughtless, foolish fun is the way to live, I'm actually dishonoring God because when I mock my wise, sober-minded friend, I am mocking attributes of God in him. If I say faithfulness is overrated, it's okay to break your promises now and then. When I say faithfulness is overrated, I'm dishonoring God's name. Because our God is faithful. It's who He is. And so we honor God by honoring those characteristics that describe Him. And then to go one step further... Honoring God's name also includes honoring those things most connected to his name. Especially his word, his worship, and his people. Uh, we call the Bible God's word. His name is on it. God's name is connected to this book. It is through the Bible that God's name and character are revealed to us. We honor or dishonor God's name by either honoring or dishonoring his book, his Bible. Uh, Psalm 138, verse 2, God, you have exalted above all things your name and your word. The psalmist puts those together. God, you've exalted these things above everything else, your name 
and your word. Because the two are connected. They, they go together. As we saw last week, God's name is connected to his worship. It's through our worship that our understanding of who God is will be shaped. We can say it this way. The first commandment is concerned with the right object of our worship. Worship God, God alone. The second commandment is concerned with the right means of our worship. We're to worship God through word, not images. This third commandment is concerned with the right manner of our worship. God's name is not to be used in vain. There's to be reverence and love and adoration, sincerity in the way we speak of God. God's name is never to be treated lightly in any context, but certainly here in the worship of God, there should be great reverence and regard for his name. Hebrews 13 verse 15 says, Through Christ... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. So Hebrews 13 speaks of worshiping, and and it says when when we gather to worship, what should we be mainly talking about, singing about, thinking about, hearing about in the worship of God? It is God himself, his name. At the center of everything we do on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening should be the person and the work of God. The goal of true worship is not ultimately that you would learn ten points to a better marriage. The goal of true worship is that not you would learn better tips for how to relate to your boss or your employees. Those things are important. The goal of worship is not mainly that you would know how to think about gay marriage or transgenderism or abortion or confederate monuments. Those things, they have their place. Those issues are important. But when we gather to worship, here is what's of most importance. That we see God. That God be the focus of all that we do. That we see and savor Him. True worship is to be God-centered. We should leave this place with a fresh sense of God's nature, God's character, and therefore with greater reason to tremble before Him, greater reason to trust Him, greater reason to love Him, greater reason to rest in Him. Then we're in the right place to think about Confederate monuments. Certainly honoring God's name means honoring His people. Those who wear his name. You cannot claim to love God and have a high regard for God while you simultaneously mistreat his children. Jesus said it would be better for a millstone to be tied around our neck. A millstone, that's a heavy rock. It's it's big. It's better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and you throw it into the sea and you drown than for you to cause one of his children to stumble. Christ loves his Father's name, and therefore Christ loves those who wear his Father's name, those who have been baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, those who profess the name of Christ. Jesus is going to to defend them. If we love God's name, we must love those who bear his name in this world. And so when you put all this together, We find that taking God's name in vain is neglecting, demeaning, abusing, or profaning 
the reputation of God in this world. So I'll say it again. Taking God's name in vain is neglecting. Don't even think about it. Demeaning. Treating it as small. Abusing or profaning the reputation of God in this world. And that we simply must not do. But why? Why is this commandment so important that it's number three on the top ten list? I'm going to give you four answers of why this commandment is so important. Before I do, I need to point out that this commandment is not given because God somehow needs our honor. So can we just be clear about that up front? God is not giving this command out of a sinful, arrogant vanity that requires his divine ego to be stroked by us. God doesn't need his name to be honored by us. Compared to God, we are a minuscule atom on a grain of sand on a seashore. God does not need us in any way. He certainly does not need our praise. He does not need our honor. Frankly, what you and I think about God doesn't actually change who he is or how glorious he is one iota. He is the glorious, all-valuable, majestic God, regardless of our opinions, regardless of our thoughts, regardless of what we say, regardless of what we do. And if we had more time, I would show you that God does delight in the praises of his people, but that ultimately our heartfelt praises are his own pure self-adoration coming back to God through us. In other words, even our praises to God don't add anything to God because our praises to God originate with God to begin with. That's a sermon for another time. One day we'll, we'll preach on that. It's actually a very, very cool thing, but not right now. So here are four reasons why this commandment is so important. Number one, this commandment warns us against a great evil. It warns us against a great evil. We just need to make no mistake about this. To dishonor the name of God is a great evil. We think the taking of human life is evil. And it is. Because every human life is precious. God's name is worth more than a human life. Some of us get upset when someone speaks against our favorite sports team. We get angry when someone trashes people or things that we love. But friends, here is the name above all names. There is an intrinsic worthiness to God's name. God's name is valuable and good and righteous and deserving of our esteem. To dishonor God's name is by its very nature to commit a horrific sin. It is to treat truth as untruth. It is to treat goodness as evil. It is to treat beauty as ugliness. To dishonor God's name is to go against the very reason you were created. To dishonor God's name is to go against the very divine purpose of the universe. It is to commit treason against your own existence. It is to commit treason against the ultimate purpose of God in giving you breath. And so we have to take this sin very seriously. But then second, this command is vital 
to our own salvation. It's vital to our own salvation. What do I mean by that? Well, salvation is found by trusting in God. And you're only going to trust in God if you think His name is worthy of trust. What you think about the name of God is going to determine whether or not you're willing to trust Him. Judges 9.28, men asked, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Who is Abimelech? What, what is it about Abimelech? What's so special about that name? Abimelech that we should have respect and allegiance stirred up in us. It's the same question. What comes into your mind when you think about God? Who is God that we should serve Him? What does this name God mean to you? Proverbs 18 verse 10. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs to it and is safe. Earlier I mentioned some of the names of God in the Bible and what they mean. Michael Horton says, Each name of God is an affirmation of faith. And taken together, the names of God are a confession of faith. In other words, what we believe about God is confessed by the names we use to call on Him. You cannot demean any name of God without simultaneously chipping away at your own faith. You cannot treat God's name lightly without putting cracks in the foundation on which you stand as a Christian. To attack God's name is to attack your hope. Number three. Related to this, the third commandment is vital to the souls of our children. The third commandment is vital to the souls of our children. Why? Because this is the name we long for our children to call upon for salvation. Why would we neglect or demean or abuse or profane the reputation of the God we want our children to trust? What is the reputation of Jesus in your home? What is the reputation of Jesus in your family? John 1 verse 12, But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become the children of God. To those who believed in His name, are you living in such a way that your children have reason to believe in His name? Isn't this what we pray for our children? That they would believe in His name. That our children would see Christ as He really is. Worthy of their trust. Worthy of their allegiance. Worthy of their devotion. This is the name worth living and dying for. Do you believe that? Would those who live and work around you attest that you see the name of Jesus as a name worth suffering for. When the apostles were beaten by the religious leaders, when the apostles were charged not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore, Acts 5.41 tells us they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the honor of the name. They were beaten and they left rejoicing that they had the privilege of suffering for this name. We're praying for God to raise up missionaries among us. Will there be any Adoniram Judsons? 
Will there be any Hudson Taylors? Will there be any Lottie Moons that come from this church? We're praying that God will raise up men and women ready to stand firm for truth. Will there be any William Wilberforces from our church? Will there be Daniels, Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes? Will there be any Esthers? Well, Mount Hermon, so much of that depends on this. What reputation does Christ have in the minds and the hearts of our children? And do you know where they're going to learn? The reputation that Christ should have in their hearts and minds? From what they see in us who are older. How we treat the name of God. How we speak of God. Number four. This commandment is vital to the hope of the lost. It is vital to the hope of the lost. For the sake of the lost, we must honor the name of God. As we pray for the salvation of the lost around us, we must herald the name of God as a name worthy of their worship. The local church is to be a pillar a buttress of truth that is above all else. The local church is to be proclaiming something to the world. What are we to be proclaiming to the world? God is worthy. Worthy of your repentance. Worthy of your faith. Worthy of every price you will have to pay in order to have Him. And oh, how the church of Christ in our day needs to repent of being trivial when it comes to the things of God. May we repent of having low thoughts of God, or worse, not thinking much about Him at all. In so many churches, the focus isn't even on God. The focus is is, is on other things. God is almost irrelevant to the worship service. In many local churches, the focus is on our wants, our desires, our needs, as if we're the most important beings in the world, and God is pushed to the periphery. church of Jesus Christ in America needs to recover a true respect for God. Sometimes when we think about where our American culture is heading, Christians lament that the Ten Commandments are no longer taught in public schools. And frankly, the Ten Commandments no longer adorn the walls of most courthouses. But friends, is that really the root of our nation's problem? Michael Horton says, the problem as I see it is not that we have taken God out of public schools, nor that we have removed public acknowledgement from God out of our courthouses. It is that we have taken God out of the churches. It's that we've removed public acknowledgement of God and His attributes from our personal and public lives as Christians. He says, why should Christians lament the day when the Ten Commandments were taken down from the wall in the classroom when few Christians can actually name the commandments themselves? When the world forgets God, the church is called upon to proclaim God more widely. But what happens when the church forgets God? Who speaks for Him then? Before we get really specific about this command, we need to take note of the reason that God annexes to this commandment. That is, this commandment comes with a motivation attached. Do you see it in the verse? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For 
the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Why does God add that statement to this commandment? Well, I think one reason is this. As serious as this sin is, and as detrimental as it is to us and our families and our culture, people seem like they get away with this sin all the time. Men, women, children dishonor God's name every day and there doesn't appear to be any consequences at all. Our local laws don't address this. We don't want our local police out enforcing the third commandment. The, uh, the police are better for some of those latter commandments, not some of these first commandments. And so people might begin to think that dishonoring God's name is a small thing. Dishonoring God's name is a sin that God just overlooks. Matthew Henry says, The sinner may perhaps hold himself guiltless. Think, oh, there's no harm in it. God will never call me to account for this. And thus God adds this warning. He will not let the person who violates this commandment escape his judgment. Not only will every breach of this commandment be punished, but it will be God Himself who will be the avenger of His own name. Those who treated God as a trifle in this life will in the end find that it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. The time we have left... oh. I have no time left. Um, okay. We're going to do a lot more tonight. And we will move to the end. Every one of these commandments is given for this reason. To help us see that we're not decent people who just fall down every once in a while. But that all human beings by nature are corrupt through and through. That on the day of judgment, God's not going to have to look high and low to find some reason to condemn us. Rather, as he opens up the books of our lives and our thoughts and our motivations and our attitudes, the evidence against us will stack up from here to the moon. And the divine soul of God and every holy angel and every holy saint will see our sin stack up against us and will cry out for God to do what is right and for God to do what is right means for him to avenge his holy name that we've profaned in so many ways. And so praise God for Jesus Christ. Praise God that we have a Savior who came and lived and died with complete love and commitment to his Father's name. And the life that he lived, he lived for all who would trust in him. And the death that he died on the cross, he died in the place of every person who will call on him for forgiveness and salvation. If you're here this morning and you came in thinking pretty high of yourself, I'm going to be honest. Here's my goal, that you don't think so highly of yourself at this point. But it's not because I'm out simply to lower your self-esteem. It's because I want you to see the beauty of Christ. I want you to see what a Savior He is. 
I want you to see what a thing it is that he would love you and have mercy on you. And I pray that this morning you would call on him for salvation and that you would trust him and that he would be yours. When we stand before God on that last day, I don't want you standing before God saying, but God, look, I had some pretty good things I did in my life. All our righteousness will be filthy rags. When you stand before God on that day, I want you to say, I know I'm a sinner, but here is all my hope and stay. Here is my righteousness, Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted the Lord, I pray that you will. Let's pray together.